Okay, and they're doing what they can to keep the room as cool as possible. Um, if uh, the heat in this room moves you to contribute further to the Spirit Rock building campaign, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe some good will come from some bad. And, and second, uh, Gary's comment there, this gives me a chance to <clears throat> say something about the metaphor of the two wolves, and then we'll segue further here into empathy. And it's that, um, <clears throat> I know I, Gary knows this, it's not so much that the wolf of love is good or the wolf of hate is bad, so-called. These are just innate capacities, even inclinations that we have. And for myself, I think it's interesting to explore the extent to which having access to the wolf of hate inside ourselves can be important or useful to serve certain things, such as standing up to injustice or speaking truth to power uh, or being in situations where a certain kind of aggressiveness, if you will, is actually called for in a, maybe a business environment or a sporting situation or you know, really being a strong advocate for someone. So I, I just kind of offer an, you know, like an opening into this inquiry here Right, sometimes I swear I'm going to teach a workshop called Buddhist Aggressiveness is Not an Oxymoron, you know, because I think that's very interesting territory. And I was talking with somebody recently about my own sense that there are certain times where I feel fiery or revved up about something or really serious about it, or like, are you kidding me? And I, it feels okay. It's very easy to tip in from that fieriness into something really problematic, but it, it's just a yellow flag condition, you know? And I think also, especially for people, and you know, speaking statistically, you know, more often women than men, who've been socialized to sort of suppress their forcefulness, their power, their fieriness, their intensity, their passion. Um, I think it's really important to be careful about um, you know, the internalization of oppression, to use that term, or also, you know, just be careful about others who want us to kind of shut up and settle down and be well-behaved when, hey, we're mad for a reason, you know? And so, you see what I'm kind of getting at? So I think it's important to explore for yourself what feels right to you, where you can be in this place where you may be fiery, you may be intense, you may be real serious about it, but you're not crossing a line. And you get to decide what that line is. And we're going to explore some of the Buddhist guidance for what that line is. But I just find this really quite an interesting territory, especially if you were, like me, raised to suppress all your anger. Parents had a monopoly on anger in my home growing up, you know, which they enforced. And uh, you know, it took me quite a long time to really access my own capacity to um, include, nothing left out, right, to include that so-called wolf of hate. So I want to be kind of clear about it that I'm not trying to um, discriminate against the wolf of hate. On the other hand, as the Buddha put it, um, you know, getting angry at others is like throwing hot coals with bare hands. Both people get burned. And, um, you know, we will explore this afternoon what might be this territory of strength, even a fiery strength, a fierce strength, you know, what's her name? Julia Butterfly Hill sat on the tree for two years to protect it, etc. Um, she talks about fierce compassion, fierce strength, you know. To sit in that fierce strength, or perhaps a quieter one, but still a strength, without getting sucked into the dark side of the force. All right, so that's a place we'll be going. 
Okay? I find that really kind of cool. Okay. Ready? You're back. Digestion working properly. Feel free to get up before the break if you want to. All right? So, empathy. So, empathy um, is basically the sense over here of what it's like for you to be over there. And in the brain, there are three basic neural systems, kind of loosely defined and intertwining with each other, that support three fundamental aspects of empathy. So, one system is the so-called mirror neuron system or mirror network system in which we simulate over here some sense of what it could feel like in the body over there of a particular action, especially an intentional action. So, for example, pardon me, if you um, will do a little experiment here, imagine, and, and if you could, reach out for an imaginary cup. So just reach for a cup. Good. Set it down. Pull your hand back. Great. Thanks for putting up with that. Now watch me reach for the cup. Of the neurons that activated in your brain when you reached for the cup, a small fraction of them also activated when you saw me reach for the cup. Thus the term mirroring. You get a, It's a very efficient way to draw upon the circuitry that is involved in sensory motor activity over here to interpret the actions of another member of, the, of a species or prey or a predator over there. That's the mirror-like network. But then we, of course, simulate the emotions of others. And a different part of the brain does this. The insula on the inside of the temporal lobes is primarily, in, one, of the, one of its primary functions um, is to... Uh, resonate with or get a feeling over here for the feelings of others. It's a similar kind of process. The insula is also very involved in tuning into oneself. It's one of the main areas in the brain in which regular mindfulness meditation builds cortical structure, thickens layers of cortex by creating more synapses and and creating more capillaries coming in uh, to bring supplies in in that particular part of the brain, the insula. And um, So the insula tunes into ourselves, so it activates, as it were, lights up, to use that language, uh, when we feel certain things, and when we see somebody else, especially somebody we feel related to or connected with or we like, feeling those things, some of the same neurons light up in our brain as well when we see them having that experience. Okay, And then we have uh, what are called called theory of mind functions, supported by the prefrontal cortex um, that help us Simulate over here some sense of the thoughts or intentions, enneagram point, Myers-Briggs type, you know, impact of personal history, etc., of the other person over there. Okay, so we have these three aspects of empathy. Mirror neurons have gotten a lot of press and a lot of play, but their contribution to empathy is actually pretty minimal, you know, compared to those other circuits in the brain and those other aspects of empathic attunement to others. Okay, quick survey of empathy. Having empathy for you, I recognize it's warm in here, and I'm sure that Sean, with his magic ears, he and the NSA are uh, <laughs> going to be doing everything they can to cool it off as much as possible. I saw a, a, a thumbs up in the back of the room a moment ago. Okay. All right. Empathy so far? So, empathy doesn't have to be communicated. Often it is. We can feel it over here. Empathy is morally neutral. 
We can have, you know, it's through empathy for others that we may manipulate them or even punish or torment them. Um, you know, on the other hand, for what I would consider deep compassion, empathy is really required because uh, if we are to truly sustain the wish that another person not suffer, it, it is, it's, it's fueled by a sustained sense of their suffering. I don't know about you, but in certain New Age circles sometimes, I've been on the receiving end of what feels like kind of generic, you know, blanket, empathy, blanket compassion. Oh yeah, it may not suffer from people who couldn't be bothered to actually feel my own pain, right, including their impact on me. So, you know, I think empathy and compassion, even though they're in, in their nature, they're distinguished from each other, uh, true, sustained, deep compassion has an empathic component. On the other hand, if we're so flooded by our empathy for the other, then research shows we can't sustain compassion for them. So here, too, you see, again, this balance of autonomy and intimacy, strength and heart, fences supporting good neighbors. So in terms of skills for empathy, I've talked about the neural substrates of empathy. Got that, right? Okay. So skills. And if you're up for it, We'll have a two-for-one practice momentarily that will be about cultivating empathy and also giving you an opportunity to explore for yourself uh, the intersection of strength and heart. Okay? So uh, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just some stuff that I was able to put on a slide. Um, one thing that you might know, including related to the interesting TV show, Lie to Me, especially the first season before it went off the rails, based on the work of Paul Ekman, a researcher of microexpressions, looking closely around the eyes and the micro-muscles around the eyes and also around the edges of the mouth tends to be a real doorway into empathy. Another one that may not be so obvious is to be tuned into our body over here. As Dan Siegel points out, there's an overlapping between the neural basis for self-attunement and other attunement. So being in touch with our body over here can help us be more alert to our body's resonance with or responsiveness to or attunement to, sympathetic vibration with, like two tuning forks starting to vibrate together with the other person over there. Empathy as a detail, uh, like I said earlier, can be offered and that's where we do things you know, kind of gently. And I think that it's important to distinguish, as Deborah Tannen talks about in her book, You Just Don't Understand, to distinguish between empathy talk and problem-solving talk. You know, haven't you ever been in a situation where you think the conversation's about empathy and the other person is suddenly invasively trying to solve your problem? Hold on there, you know? Or on the other hand, have you ever been in a situation where you thought it was about figuring something out, you know, dealing with something, you know, what are we going to do going forward? we got to take care of this problem, and the other person gets offended that you're not processing enough. When you just want to cut to the chase and solve it and move on. So it helps to clarify explicitly, is it this kind or that kind, and also clarify the transitions from empathy talk to problem-solving talk. You know, by my nature and maybe through gender socialization, socialization as a guy, you know, I'm, I started out being really good at problem-solving, and that started creating problems in my relationship with my wife, and especially when kids came along. And I began to realize that, to take a, a you know, word out of some research I read, start by joining. 
that became kind of a mantra, start by joining. Joining doesn't mean waiving my rights, but if I start by joining, start by tuning in and doing the empathy, often, you know, no problem needs to be solved because the problem was a lack of felt attunement, a lack of felt joining, right? And then if it comes time to kind of take that more detached, analytic, Spock-like, I have a strong suit in the Spock department, uh, quality, you know, a kind of detached, observing, analytic, impersonal, solution-oriented thinking, whatever. If it's time to actually do that, if there's this foundation of connectedness to begin with, not just in mixed-gender relationships or whatever, but in, in life in general, if we, we lay that foundation of joining, it's a lot easier to solve problems. And then if the problem solving starts running into bumps, whoop, go back to that joining. You know, reestablish that foundation. That at least was a big takeaway for me. Okay? So you want to do a little practice with this? It's totally voluntary because it's paired, so you can sit it out. And, um, you know, it's, you can just kind of be quiet or just hang out by yourself or what have you. And so in a moment, I will suggest that you find a partner, and I'll set it up. Practice some empathy. And then we'll come back and talk about it. So you can do it if you came with someone that might be a good person to do this with, um, or just could be a stranger. When we do it, if you could spread out, that would be good. And try to keep your voices down. Otherwise, we'll all start, you know, need to shout to be heard. That won't be good. And so two things here. One is I suggest that when you're, so there, there are two roles. There will be the speaker and the listener. The listener, feel free to ask questions. Do not give advice. Okay? This is not a policy conversation. This is an empathy conversation. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to mirror back to the person what you're hearing or, you know, nod sympathetically or just listen with a supportive face. It's okay to have compassion and encourage compassion for them. Uh, It's okay to wonder if it's appropriate about something you might be sensing perhaps under the surface. You're not playing therapist. We're just trying to tune in as deeply as we can. And you could explore one or more of these empathy skills, particularly some of them that are not necessarily your strong suits. So you can explore other things. If you're the speaker, you could talk about anything. I encourage you to talk about something uh, related to relationships because that's our focus here, including you could explore this intersection of strength and heart, autonomy and intimacy, including areas that are challenging for you. Or you could explore a situation that's difficult in which you could see, yeah, I need to open my heart more, but to open my heart, I need to establish more of a sense of my own base, my own stability over here. Okay, and ways that would help me do that would be X, Y, and Z. Right, Or it might be a situation where you realize, you know, um, I need to be stronger, but to do that, it would really shore me up to feel more cared about by other people, more appreciated and valued and seen. Okay, I'm going to do that. Or you could just explore a situation and how it is for you, including something that's difficult. So you see the topic? And it'll go about five minutes each way, and I'll give um, you know, time instructions to you. Does that basically sound okay? You get the basic idea? And it's really okay to freelance it. You know, if you find yourself just chatting back and forth, you've probably gone off the rails, you know. (laughs) But if it's, you know, otherwise, but if there's, if you're really focusing as a listener on really maximizing your empathy, you know, then you're in a good place. Get the basic idea? 
Getting some fans around here. Okay. So how about you find a partner and then pick an A and a B. A's will talk first. B's will listen. And if you're going out there, be back here by 25 minutes to 2. 25 to 2. 135. Oh, I misspoke. I'm an idiot. 205. Be back by 205 if you go out there. Okay, pick an A and a B. You can turn it off. Yeah. All right. A's will talk first. B's will listen empathically. 